about heaven? Do you, do you think that heaven is just a, a stairway to heaven and, and you just go and you stand at the door and, and you just keep knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door? Do you think that, that heaven is, is one of those things that everybody wants to go to heaven, they just don't want to go now? So they're going to try to make heaven a place on earth. Or maybe... You're driving down the road and, and you get that feeling that you should have been home yesterday. Yesterday, because you know West Virginia is almost heaven. Right? There's a lot of ideas out there about heaven. A little girl was talking to her mom and she said, you know, I know grandma's in heaven and, and I know she'll like it there because there's Dairy Queens everywhere, right? I mean, even there, right? Little Billy and little Dolly were watching a TV preacher. And Dolly said, hey, did you hear what he just said? He said, people in heaven have ever-laughing life. They've got it right there, ever-laughing life. You know, regardless of your taste in music, regardless of your taste in ice cream, heaven and your thoughts on heaven are really no laughing matter. It's been said that everyone lives forever. That everyone lives forever. That eternal life is true for everyone. That you either live forever as a friend of God or you live as an enemy of God. In other words, first and most, heaven and the ultimate question of heaven is not a, a question about a stairway. It's not a question about a door. It's not even a question about whether or not you want to go. The ultimate question of heaven is not a where, the ultimate question of heaven is a who. What does that mean? Well, let's see if we can find out. Listen to John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is praying, and this is what Jesus prays. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Someone said the Bible is, is not a book created by a bunch of, of marketing executives, a bunch of advertising executives just trying to come up with some catchy jingles, some catchy slogans for campaign Jesus. Now, the Bible is a book that just kind of tells the story, just kind of lays it out very clearly. And so this part of the story in this moment of history is that Jesus is about to be arrested and executed by Roman soldiers. That's what this part of the story is. So in that moment, the hour had come for the cross. And in that hour, what do we find Jesus doing? Well, we find him praying. Jesus is praying for his friends. Now look, if you and I had advance notice, which Jesus did, Jesus knew he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be executed. He wasn't confused about any of that. If we had advance notice that, that we knew we were going to be arrested and we knew we were going to be executed, we would probably spend time with our family. We might try to get all of our legal matters in order. We might hang out with our friends. We, we might go get a burger from our, our favorite burger place. You know, We might go get a cinnamon roll from our favorite bakery. We, we do something maybe different than what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, is praying for his friends. 
And he's not doing this privately. He's not off in a closet somewhere. He's, he's doing this publicly. He's doing it out loud. Either in the, the room where they were, where they had the Last Supper, or maybe on the path to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven, and, and he began to pray out loud. Now, if you look at this passage, a, a sitcom aficionado might say, hey, is Jesus pulling a jimmy here? Why is Jesus praying in the third person? What's he doing here? Why, why is Jesus using the third person? That's, that's just weird. That's just, just strange. Well, more than 80 times Jesus used the third person to reference himself. Many times it was something from the Old Testament. It was a, a reference, a term, a phrase, and, and Jesus would use that phrase, something like son of man. And so when Jesus prayed, he would say something like this, the, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was talking about himself, but he was using the third person. So, so why? Why would he do that? Well, imagine if there was a puppet. And that puppet was kind of known for like this one tagline. And like all the time in all of his scenes, of all his little puppet shows, he always had the same line. And his line was, I love you. That was his line. Everybody knew him for that line. Now, take that same puppet and let's tweak the line a little bit. Take the pronoun out and replace a little third person and change the line to say, Elmo loves you. Okay? Now you can sell $350 million in toys, right? Just take the pronoun out and you just made a lot of money with the third person. So the moral of this story is Jesus used the third person to make a lot of money for the church, right? That, that's what this is all about. No, not at all. No, it just means that Jesus is more than a pronoun. When we, when we hear the third person, we, we step back a bit and we're seeing a, a bigger picture. We're not just seeing a, a pronoun. We're seeing that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of Man, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Light of the world. Jesus is the King of all kings. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. He's the only door to heaven. So, where are you with the door? Where are you with Jesus? Are you new to Jesus? Are you not sure about Jesus? Are you struggling with Jesus? Do you have saving faith in Jesus? Or is Jesus just kind of a Christmas and Easter story to you and it really doesn't go much further? Knowing that he would soon be arrested, knowing that he was soon going to be executed, Jesus was praying. And he was praying for his friends. The hour had come for this prayer. The hour had come for Jesus to be betrayed, for Jesus to be arrested, for him to be crucified and, and tortured and beaten before he was crucified. The, the hour had come. Now look, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that, that your life is going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No. This week, People who follow Jesus will hear things like, I want a divorce. 
This week, people who follow Jesus will hear things like, I I wish you weren't my parents. This week, people who follow after Jesus, they'll hear from their company, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. This week, people who follow after Jesus will hear, I'm sorry, there's nothing else that we can do. Someone might say, well, well, look, if God's so good and I start following Jesus, then can I just kind of avoid all the bad stuff? Listen, Jesus didn't avoid all the bad stuff. God's own son didn't avoid all the bad stuff. Jesus endured the most awful, terrifying, horrible experience that anyone has ever endured. Jesus endured the cross, all of its shame, and Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for me and for you. Hard moments are going to come in life. The question is this, where will you turn when those hard moments come? Someone has said many times what we'll do is we'll turn to what's known as functional saviors. Drinking, drugs, eating, sexual immorality, anger, gossip, fear, shopping, technology, something. And those things, they'll help for a little while. The, the, the temporary help will be there. We will feel through some of those functional saviors that, that things are a little better. But then those feelings will fade because the temporary help of the functional Savior will wear off. So in the hardest moments of life, we don't need functional saviors. We need the Savior. In the hardest moments of life, what we need the most is Jesus. Even if we don't believe that, even if we don't think that, what we need the most is Jesus. In the hardest moment of his life on earth, What was Jesus doing? In the moment where where everything was about to come crashing down, so to speak, what was Jesus doing? He was turning to God. He knew where to turn. He knew to turn to his Father. And he turned to his Father, and he was praying. He was praying for his friends. And what was he praying? He was praying that they would know God. And that they would know God through him. Sorry, i got to give a little spoiler alert before we keep going, okay? Here's the spoiler alert. About 10 hours after Jesus prayed this prayer, he was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. So, So this prayer really happened, and then 10 hours later, he was killed. He breathed his last. He was buried in a in a cemetery tomb. And that tomb belonged to a man named Joseph. And after he was buried, they put some guards on the tomb. Why would they do that? Well, they put guards on the tomb because some of the religious leaders in the community, they had heard Jesus' chatter. They had heard Jesus say that he was going to rise from the dead three days later. So they said, look to their politicians, to their government officials. Look, if y'all don't want trouble around here, you should put some guards on that tomb. Because what will happen is these crazy people that follow after him, they'll go and try to steal the body. And then they'll try to do something, you know. They're, they're going to try to, you know, start some resurrection conspiracy theory, you know. So if they steal the body, they'll get that thing going all over the place. 
Or maybe they might steal the body and, and they're going to try to put on some kind of Easter passion play, you know, where they amaze everybody with the appearance that Jesus has come back from the dead. So they said, if you want to protect things, you want to protect your authority, you might want to put some guards out there. Now, here's the spoiler. There was no resurrection conspiracy theory. There was no fancy Easter passion play with the appearance of Jesus being alive. No conspiracy. No appearance. Jesus did rise from the grave. Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. Jesus was and is risen. He is risen indeed. There was no conspiracy. There was no appearance. Jesus is alive. And he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom, not the democratic kingdom, not the republican kingdom, not the Chinese kingdom, not the North Korean kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, the king of kings, his kingdom will be forever and he will reign forever because he is risen, he is risen indeed. Our hope today is not in religion. Our hope today is in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. We sang about it just a moment ago, didn't we? Charles Wesley, love's redeeming work, oh, it's done. He fought the fight, and the battle is won. Death in vain forbids him rise. Love that language. Death's trying. No, Jesus, you cannot rise from the dead. In vain, death says that. Why? Because Christ hath opened and rising from the grave, Jesus opened the door to heaven. What about the guards? Well, the guards outside the tomb, they, I mean, they did their best. I mean, they were trying to guard. But something happened, and, and they reported about it. Some, some bright, shining man came down from the sky, and he rolled the stone back from the tomb like it was a tic-tac. And then he sat on that stone, like he owned the world. And the guards were so overcome, they, they collapsed. They couldn't even use their arms and their legs. They were temporarily paralyzed. These were soldiers, right? These guys, they had a man cave, right? They are menly men. They don't believe in ghost stories. But that's what they reported to their superiors. And so that's what happened to us. We can't explain it. We just know it happened. Let me ask you a question. Do you know why you're at church this morning? Do you know why you're watching on the live stream? Do you know why? Here's why you're at church. Here's why you're watching. Because after 2,000 years, Jesus still can't be. Oh, people try. Scholars try. Politicians try. Even former Christians try. They try to denounce all of this. 
They try to say none of it is true. They try to say it's all a hoax, that it is a conspiracy theory. But you cannot bury Jesus. The harder you try, the more in vain you work. The great and grand and glorious gospel is alive and powerful. It is just as relevant as it's ever been. Nothing for a millisecond has ever diminished the power of the gospel because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And nothing will ever diminish the power of the gospel. After Jesus was risen from the dead he appeared to his disciples and he said this in Matthew 28 18 all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth all authority listen the ultimate destiny of everyone and everything is in the hands of Jesus the ultimate destiny of everyone and everything is in the hands of Jesus now I'm no rocket surgeon but that sounds like a pretty decent reason to have saving faith in Jesus. All authority. All authority. Jesus has authority over all times and all places. Jesus has authority over all races, all nations, and all genders. Jesus has authority over all Democrats and all Republicans. Jesus has authority over everything and everyone. Now, you may not know this, but you have authority. You do. You have authority. We all have some measure of authority. You may have authority in your company or in your school, in your job. You may have authority in in the church or, or in your neighborhood. You may have authority in a community quilting club. You may just have authority over the coffee pot in your kitchen, but you've got some authority. There's There's some authority in your life. So what are you doing with your authority? How do you use your authority? Do you use your authority to help people? Do you use your authority to serve people, to to bless people? Do you use your authority to to bring attention to Jesus? Or do you use your authority in a different way? Do you use your authority to avoid helping people? Do you use your authority to build your man cave you know, or your she shed and, and just hang out and stay away from people? Do you use your authority to, to try and get your way? Try to make things the way you want them? Do you use your authority to actually just try to make your life comfortable? Jesus had all authority in heaven and earth. How did he use it? Did he use it to lord over people? Did he use it to control people? Did he use it to fight to get his way? Did he use it to push his own agendas? No, Jesus used his authority to give. He used his authority to give life. And not just any kind of life. Jesus used his authority to give eternal life. Life that lasts forever. If you are not a Christian, you're spiritual profile sounds like this. You are dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sins. The profile reads that you're depraved, you're guilty, you're destitute. You are incapable of choosing God. You're incapable of enjoying God. That's the profile. So how can you change your profile? Well, you can't. You 
Only Jesus can change your profile. Only Jesus can change your profile to wipe those things away and to give you his eternal life. The only way your spiritual account can change is if Jesus makes the deposit. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 says this, Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do you overcome the world? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not just his information, but his definition for your life. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you trusting in Him as your only and ultimate hope for salvation? If so, then you will overcome the world. If not, you will not overcome the world. You won't overcome the world. You'll be separated from God forever. So we would plead with you today. Ask God to save you. It's, it's not hard math. It's not a difficult question. You don't have to have a, a lot of things memorized from the Bible. Ask God to save you. Ask God to save you. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. Receive this life from Jesus, this eternal life. You don't have to die in your sin. Jesus is offering life, eternal life, right now. What is eternal life? Listen to what Jesus prays again. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Does eternal life mean that you live forever? Yes, it does. Does eternal life mean that you live forever in heaven? Yes, it does. But Jesus is praying that ultimately eternal life is knowing the one true God through Jesus. In a sense, eternal life is living forever as a friend of God and eternal death is living forever as an enemy of God. So do you know God? Are you truly a friend of God? Do you mentally and and personally and actively and interactively know God? Do you have saving faith in Jesus? Eternal life isn't primarily about a place... It is about a place, but not primarily about a place. Eternal life is primarily about a person. Heaven without Jesus is an oxymoron. Heaven without Jesus is not heaven. So the question again is, is not where when we speak of heaven, not where when we speak of eternal life. The ultimate question is who? The ultimate question is is who? And why is that so important for you today? Why is it so important that today you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a friend of God? Why is it important today that you have an answer for the question who when it comes to eternal life? Why is it so important today on this Resurrection Sunday, on this Easter, that you are actually and truly and eternally saved? Why does it matter today? Well, it matters for a gazillion reasons. Let me, let me just give you one. 
Elsie was the church secretary at the same church for 63 years. Now, just chew on that for a second. She had the same job at the same church for 63 years. Eventually, she moved into an assisted living area. And after some time there, her, her memory started fading. Any of us had that in our lives? If you had someone that you loved, that their memory started fading, that they couldn't remember some things about themselves, about you, about your family, their memories began to go. When her last Easter season of life, the last pastor that she worked for went to visit her and and he was reading the Bible to her. He was reading a crucifixion story, a story that she had heard many times in 96 years, but Elsie's memory was fading. And this is what he read. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Elsie had been sitting there almost like she was kind of asleep, almost out of it. And when he read that Jesus breathed his last, Elsie piped up. She said, oh, oh no, they killed Jesus. Boy, she knew the story. She'd heard the story for 96 years. But she had forgotten the story, and, and it rattled her. So he calmed her, and he read her the rest of the story. The story that can't be buried. This is what the pastor's wife wrote about Elsie. I thank God that although Elsie may have forgotten what happened to Jesus, and someday I may forget too, Jesus will never forget nor lose the ones he died for. Dear Christian, the hope of today, the hope of your salvation, the hope of your life, the hope of your death, the hope of heaven, the hope of the answer of the question of who in your life, the hope of this Easter, the hope of this Resurrection Sunday, the hope of of the resurrection of Jesus is this. If you are in Christ, you may forget. But Jesus will not forget you. He is risen. He is risen indeed.